Hi, I'm Anjali. And I'm Martha. And welcome to Public Health on Duty, where we talk to some of the most inspiring young minds in the Philippine public health system. Join us as we talk to our guests about their stories, learn about their career journey, and chat about their wins and everyday challenges. Well, our guest for today is Arian Zamora. Welcome to Public Health on Duty, Arian. Yay! Welcome Hi. to Public Health on Duty. Hello, everyone. My name is Arian. She uh, or her. Okay. Hello. Actually, Arian, do you want to tell us about where you studied and maybe how you wound up in DOH afterwards? Ah, sure. Um, so, um, again, uh, Arian here. Uh, I've been working mostly for maybe eight years in public health. Um, so, I started really as a nurse. And um, so, that was many moons ago. <laughs> but, um, so, I started as a nurse mainly during the time when, you know, parents are asking you, you know, what, what do you want to do? Maybe you want to do nursing yeah. instead. So, I, I was really part of that cohort. <laughs> no idea really what I wanted back then. But they say, you know, nursing might be a good track because it will take you overseas. Let's be honest. You know, want to yeah. earn more money. Um, so, after that, um, so nursing happened but didn't really get into the nursing thing. Didn't really work out for me. So you never practiced nursing? Never in a paid um, setting. So it's really oh. more of a volunteer type in a um, uh, public hospital. So maybe more on that later and maybe how I got to public health. Because that's actually a big thing as well. Um, but mainly I don't think there's uh, it's a fit for me. Nursing and Aryan as a nurse is not really, I think, uh, something. It's good that I realized it early on. So I decided that, you know, maybe I need something else that would um, steer me away from nursing. So I thought about public health. And to be honest, when I thought about public health, I thought it was community health. Um, So just to put it out there, those two things are different, quite different. So I did a master's in UP Manila. um, And at the same time, I was working as well with the Department of Science and Technology. So Mm. first month working there was also my first month as a master's student. And it's actually a very interesting time to be in because it's all about public health all in one go. Right. Seeing it um, at work and also in school. A very good balance, really. So um, after you graduated nursing, you... Went straight to DOST. No. Oh. So this is really a, I think many people will relate, especially if you did not graduate from the four big schools in Manila. Mm-hmm. So I worked as a call center for, ah. I guess, almost two years while looking for work at the hospital. So, you know, I was looking for places to work or practice as a nurse. Um, the options back then <laughs> I'm not ashamed. So it's 2009. So back then, there's really a lot of uh, nurses um, who graduated, just right. graduated. And then a lot of call centers as well. But not a lot of paying paid jobs for nurses right. in a hospital, really. Mm-hmm. So I did maybe three months as a volunteered nurse. So may, maybe my, many people don't remember, but at some point, people are actually paying to volunteer back then. Right. What? Yes. Yes. That's school. And on top of that, if you get hired as a nurse, your salary is maybe just a bit better than minimum wage. 
Oh no. In a private hospital. Uh-huh. Oh no. And I graduated from a nursing school which had a hospital. So it's like I paid four years to study there and will be getting uh, something not that great every month. Oh no. <laughs> Says a lot about the yeah. um, system, right? But yeah. And you were not attracted to the promises of like cha-ching from abroad? Um, maybe if… Um, because I think many people who just graduated or maybe thinking about where they want or what they want to study would look at what their strengths or interests would be. I skipped that part and just did nursing altogether. <laughs> but I realized it's really not for me. Um, it's It's a common story but… I really actually saw someone die because there's no ventilator. And this is in Manila, right? It's in a public hospital in Manila. Like, uh, I've never felt as helpless as that, you know, time. Because, you know, maybe I can provide from my own pocket. But this is not a common, uh, this is not an uncommon story. Like, I have friends who worked as a nurse and stopped. Because, you know, you're just one person, really. And uh, some would probably get money out of pocket to get syringe and those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. And it's really also not good for mental health, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Like that burden shouldn't have to fall on you as the healthcare provider. It should be provided for by the system. And right. I saw this as a volunteer nurse, not even a paid nurse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ouch. Sorry, it's a bit of a downer at the start. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people can resonate with. Yeah. And it's a reality. I think that people who want to get into public health yeah. need to know. Yeah. So, <laughs> serving you like an early slap in the face. This is how public health is. <laughs> so, Aryan, um, fast forward to after your MPH. You went to the DOH already? Actually, this is a bit interesting. But the project I was with, with the Department of Health, um, and this was back in the uh, Aquino administration, we started, we, the Department of Health, the government started really putting more money into research, health research in particular. So hmm. um, the setting there was that DOH wanted to do a couple of studies on health systems research. Because so when, mm. when people think about research back then, well, most people would look, look at it at uh, like a clinical research, but this is a bit right. different. This caters more to the needs of uh, the Department of Health as a policymaking or uh, policymaking institute, right? So there's they're more concerned about things related to policy and how or what they can gather from research. So they had a partnership with um, CHRD, also a big part of the research consortium here in yeah. the Philippines. Um, so we funded research managed projects back then that uh, are related to health systems research. So working with DOST, uh, Department of Science and Technology, but still um, more on health research for the Department of Health. So even before being a research fellow, um, I was working on that. And that particular program is actually the research arm of the same um, health systems research um, program. So the fellowship part is really the capacity right. building side of things. Yeah. So you were part of the research arm first before yes. you became a research fellow in the DOH. Yes. Ah, that's interesting. Because fun fact, so um, Aryan was part of the same research fellowship that I was. It was just that when Aryan left the DOH, that's when I entered 
Yeah. <laughs> Small world. So, um, so what did you do during the research fellowship program in the DOH? Right. So when I did my fellowship after doing, so maybe just a tidbit on why I transferred, because mainly it's still research, right, for um, health policy. Yeah. Uh, we were reviewing research projects, but I was feeling like instead of reviewing and um, evaluating those papers and coordinating, I actually wanted to get into the, uh, you know, the action more directly. Right. So I applied for the um, research fellowship um, arm of this project uh, program, rather. And when I got in, I was first assigned under the public-private partnership unit uh, for health at the Department of Health. Yeah. So many people, when they hear about PPP, public-private partnership, especially after the Aquino administration, I think even now relates it more to transportation, right? right? MRT and such. But yeah, it's also applicable in health. Yeah, I think it's a it's really an intersectoral um, portfolio. Exactly. But from what I understand, the bulk of the work that you did more recently wasn't really research, right? What were you doing, especially when the pandemic hit? Ah, so it's actually funny. So after my stint with the fellowship, I, which I did not get to complete. I did a master's in epidemiology um, in Antwerp. Mm-hmm. So coming back to 2019, excited to get into research uh, of my own research interests. So I did not really get back into the DOH just yet because I know they're interested more in different things. Right. But then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I was actually asked, um, uh, got invited to join the department at the EPI side of things. Right. Yeah. So mainly involved, of course, in COVID-19. So I was working at the COVID-19 unit, leading the data analytics uh, section for that particular unit. Right. And um, can you tell us more about your everyday experiences um, in the COVID-19 surveillance and quick action unit back then? Right. So um, for the um, COVID unit, really, it's... um, since it's a, the data analytics section, um, maybe I can tell you more first about the section that I yeah. handled. Um, when I got back to the, at the, uh, to the DOH, I was actually surprised because the team that I was leading was comprised more of people not from the health sector. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. And I, I was really thrilled, but also curious as to how it's going to work out. So uh, the team that I was with had physics graduates, um, oh. applied math. And even management engineering. Oh, so what? People from <laughs> yes. Ateneo, really? <laughs> yes, mostly. Yeah. Oh. No, it's actually a, a very really? fun mix, I would say. Oh, cool. But in epidemiology? Yes. And that's, I think, the most interesting part of my whole journey the last, what, two to three years now at the pandemic. So, I was really quite concerned telling my boss back then that, Doc, I don't really know how to code. Because I think when you say data analytics and how I understand it is that you have a couple of data and then you have to do the data crunching. And I would be honest, uh, I graduated with a master's in epidemiology, but one of my weaknesses is still um, statistics or really doing the quants. Yeah. Yeah. So data crunching or even running programs. Um, still struggling with R or Stata, if you're familiar, but getting the hang of it. But again, not my expertise. But my um, 
supervisors at the DOH were, you know, just so okay about it. You know, that um, apparently I wouldn't have some skill sets that I can use for that particular role. Right. Yeah. So for the data analytics section, um, they analyze the data that they get. Um, and finally, if you think about the Department of Health, many years ago, it's really composed mostly of doctors, nurses mm, like yeah. me. Um, maybe a couple of graduates uh, of medical technology as well. Right. Yeah. So it was really exciting when I learned about that and you know, just really curious how it would work out. You were asking about uh, a day, perhaps, yes. in, the yeah. in the life of an epidemiologist <laughs> yeah. in the DOH. Right. So when you think about epidemiology, well, I don't know. When I think about epidemiology, I think SPSS, spreadsheets, numbers. But I actually don't know how epidemiology happens. <laughs> Are you just like around on a computer, like typing numbers? Like, okay, this is... Um, the cases for today. <laughs> and then if I put this number and compute, yeah. this is like the projection. <laughs> well, yeah. To be fair, when I was even, you know, asking or maybe when people ask me, what are you studying? Even when I was still doing the master's thing. Um, so they'd be guessing, is it about skins? Like, you know, are you a skin doctor? Like, <laughs> no, that's a dermatologist. I do understand that epidemiology is quite close to an epidermis, epidermis. <laughs> or something that is, I think, a fair guess would be someone who works only in epidemics because epidemiology, right? Mm, yeah. But for epidemiology, it's a bigger, um, it's a more broader um, scope rather than that. And it's not just about infectious disease, actually. Um, for epidemiology, it's really looking at... Um, we're looking always at person, place, and time. It's something that you would often hear epidemiologists mm. talk about. Ah. We look at person, place, and time and looking how these different factors sort of factor in or get associated or get correlated with health outcomes, right? Right. So it doesn't have to be... Uh, for me, uh, epidemiology is also a growing field. It's not just like before. When, when you say epidemiology is just about say in NCDs, um, smoking and lung cancer, right. right? You have an X and a Y and see how those two things connect. But now it's a whole bunch of things that you can also apply in different settings. So we also have environmental epidemiology, mm. um, even apply it in, I don't know, climate even. Mm, so cool. it's, it's quite broad, but I think... Um, it's quite a long discussion, really. But for me, epidemiology is really understanding. It's um, one of our mentors did say that it's the hard science part of public health. It right. guides us with, you know, the policies that we have, uh, providing us with some tools that's quite easy to, you know, apply um, in order to, um, I think, have a um, more scientific basis or really have a science-based approach to things right. epidemiology. Because when well when 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 the pandemic was um, was declared, I think that's really the idea of people when we talk about epidemiology. How many cases do we have? How many? Before it was person under monitoring. There was um, PUI, um, person under investigation, right? And how many were the close contacts? How many are sick? How many are 
in the hospitals, how many have recovered. So I think because of the pandemic, that's how epidemiology was seen by the public. But now we're actually learning that it's really broader than that. Yeah. It can include even non-communicable diseases. Yes, definitely. Even injuries. That's really interesting. And so for the Department of Health, though, although epidemiology is broad and in the context of this pandemic, um, a big thing is really um, focused, of course, in COVID and outbreak investigation, which is, you know, hardcore epi mm-hmm. as well. Right. Now, um, say for a day in a life as a quote-unquote epidemiologist. So, well, an epidemiologist can be in academe or you know, work in research. But for my experience in the last two years or so, is really about, you know, handling or facing this pandemic. Um, and handling data for it. Um, when you ask me what a day in a life would be for me back then working at the Department of Health, it actually starts the day before, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a couple of data that you have to um, translate. So um, just, you know, a short history maybe of where your data comes from and something that I often really explain to, you know, when I have some talks as well with... Um, uh, stakeholders is that the data that we analyze is not just the responsibility, I would say, of the Department of Health or the people that analyze your data. Right. Data point starts at the time when you give it. So say, for example, you get COVID. Mm-hmm. So you want to have yourself tested and everything starts with a case investigation form, yes. right? So whatever data that you have there, if you are honest about the data that you put in, um, if you are very conscientious of what to include, or maybe you get lazy, you're actually part of the whole data system that we have. We're just the ones analyzing that, well, even on a daily basis, the type of data that we're getting depends on all places where data gets processed or submitted, right? right. Mm-hmm. So that is from the person who is getting tested to the testing facility, et cetera, and how they are updated from time to time, right? When people tell me that, okay, did you know that this particular something is that? The first thing I would ask, I'm not being just a you know straight up skeptic here, but asking, um, who was the one who did the study? Are they, um, are they part of the people that, you know, really knows their stuff or are the people that's supposed to be um, included in the study actually included? Say, for example, you get a lot of data from uh, West, the West, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then applied here in mm-hmm. um, the East or in the country. And you have to ask, is that even contextually true for the Philippines? Right. Aaron, you emphasized earlier the importance of timely Mm-hmm. data and I'm, I'm 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 pretty sure that with your experience um in in the covid unit you had fast data coming in but you also had slow data coming in as well um what do you think are the resources that we need to or that we need in order to get timely data i think one of the main things that we would say is big success is the um, advancement that we would we were able to make rather for 
um, ICT solutions or innovation, really making use of uh, digital in- innovation for uh, COVID-19. You mentioned earlier the number of cases for COVID-19. So right. just imagine um, how many data we would have to analyze per day. Or I'm not even talking about an analysis just yet, just managing all those data, which, you know, if mm. I think even researchers would understand that the real-world data is very dirty. They have to see that many are also incomplete. So with that amount of data, what do you do? At some point, I didn't even get to work with with them just yet when this happened. But one specific um, event was that since the numbers reached more than a million and before we are used even... I think with other diseases, they usually use the most basic tool that they have, Excel, right? Oh. <laughs> Excel, you know, just, you know, for data entry. Yeah. And then just imagine one um, line there or one row would be for one case. And then the, the cases reached one million plus. Oh, no. And Excel is on, <laughs> only has what? I forgot how many, but it's not more than a million plus. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do then? And even if, when it reached a million, it takes forever for that data to just be summarized. Imagine, because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a large data that you have to analyze. So you have to also find ways in order to really get that data every day and make sure that, yes, you have that data Yes, you are able to summarize it, but also find whatever response or um, fix that you can do um, for the data that you're getting. Because it's not just about getting them. It's also about doing something about those data. Because um, the mantra that I've had for um, the time that I had there was really actionable information. You don't care about the data if you're not doing anything about it. right? Right. Yeah, that's true. So timeliness is very important. but um, in terms of um, success or really, um, how would I say it? Maybe something that the um, pandemic exposed um, us to is some weakness or gaps in uh, data management. And because it's necessary for us to do it, um, we were forced to really find ways to deliver. And that's why I was mentioning that the people I was working with, with my section is from you know, physics background or applied math Mm -hmm. because these guys are really good at coding. Something that I would not expect from, oh, well, for me at least as a nurse, it's not something that I studied for four Mm -hmm. years or so, right? So yeah, it's it's, it's a big thing. It facilitates um, exchange of data in a faster way. And there is a lot of investments that can and has been made. Yeah. I feel like it's a direction that is for really the betterment of not just for COVID response, but for the entire health system. Oh, so you would say ICT and having a diverse team was really an advantage. Definitely. Yeah, it was really an advantage. Sorry, I hate (laughs) my words there. (laughs) So So, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny because it's really like investing in not going to say robots, but um, <laughs> the machines helping us out. But at the same time, really the capacity of the people to do the data crunching right. or do the work with, you know, the technology that we have. Because right. you cannot just leave the data with, you know, the computer and have them analyze it. Someone has to do the grunt work first, have the expertise to, you know, work on it at that level. And 
yeah, I, I was really blown by how um fast and how well it was working. Not perfect, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of birthing pains that is involved, it's still ongoing, but definitely an investment that is worth um pushing for for the next coming years. So this is actually um what do I say? Um, an advertisement rather. <clears throat> If you're an IT student or a math student who or an MA student, right? Yeah, go to public health. Or if you love spreadsheets, <laughs> I love health. spreadsheets. Yeah, actually. I really want to ask Aryan. Um, you have a lot of wins, of course, in the Epidemiology Bureau. What were these wins that we should actually continue for UHC? I think I mentioned, you know, the team that we had um, at the data analytics section and shout out to these people. You know, every day is still, <laughs> still on it. You guys are um, heroes. Yeah, yeah yes. definitely. Because um, when we think about um, frontliners and, you know, health uh, workers, again, hats off to them. But also, you know, we have people in the background working day and night. Um just to give us, you know, these information that's really necessary for us to work through this pandemic. Um, one of the big wins, I think, for me, I'm not a part of it because I think they've been hired even before me, is really, you know, um, attracting these kinds of skill set and talent right. to the Department of Health mm-hmm. and Public Health. We are moving towards, you know, multidisciplinary um, approach. In not just in health, but in many things. It's a system that we're trying to build. And uh, luring or attracting these um, skill set is very important because we're getting a different perspective on how things can be better, right. how things can be improved. And for me, even when I was leading the team, I was learning so much more from the people that I was working with. Like, oh my gosh, like, Coding is an important part and people are looking at predictions and it's not just epidemiologists working on that. In the Philippines, it's um, one of the main partners that we have was with Ateneo um, and their math experts. Math modeling. Yeah. yeah. People hate math, but apparently there's a lot of use for it. <laughs> so <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's really quite something that... Um, also opened my mind into, you know, really um, opening up the public health sphere into, you know, people that's not just within with the same uh, skill or uh, background as myself. Right. That's cool. So, to Aryan's kids, pat yourselves in the back. <laughs> <laughs> They're not my kids, though. Not biological <laughs> kids. Not biological kids. No, the really, team. for me, it's a an amazing partnership because I really learned so much from them as well. And um, I think it's not just with my team, but also the partners that we had. Um, and one thing that we should never forget is the comms part of uh, things. Yeah. So it doesn't, <laughs> because you have actionable information, but no one knows about it. No yeah. one really understands. And we can geek out all day, all night about codes, about prediction. And if people, lay people do not understand it, do not get to appreciate it, I think it's a big loss as well. So if it's investment that we're looking at, do ICT and also health communication. Yeah. Game actually, changer. 
And we will have an episode about health communication. But maybe you have some advice for those people who are just like lurking around and still thinking if they want to go to public health. So what would you say? Like, come hither. How, <laughs> like, what, how you would encourage them maybe? Hmm. Maybe looking at my experience, um, I think it's not uncommon for people not to know what they want right off the bat. Mm-hmm. What I love about public health is that it gives you the opportunity to be flexible enough to be, uh, you know, get into the thick of things, understanding how the health system works, but also have the flexibility to know, okay, this works for me. Maybe I want to work tomorrow in, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe just COVID, but really for me specifically, I want to work in mental health. And that is something that epidemiology is also interested in because it's a method of, you know, finding out things, of understanding what relationships are of certain things. And if you're a public health person or if you're interested in becoming a public health person, the first thing that you should do is to get into it. Like, do not even overthink it because there's so many things that you can try out. I know it's a bit, you know, vague to say that. But for me, the um, freedom to do those things, not be boxed into, I'm not saying going into medicine or some other fields that's focused on the clinics is not, you know, as helpful for the public health sphere. But personally, even when I was uh, looking back on how things were when I was a nursing student, it's always been um, a topic that's commonly um highlighted in health in the hands of the people it's funny because they say health in the hands of the people by 2020 by 2020 uh, by 2030 and now maybe 2040 it keeps on moving but personally that's been a motivation for me to get into public health when i was a nurse i was helping people or treating people one-on-one in public health um i'm just amazed and really um Inspired by the thought that, okay, I might not be helping people do things, you know, or heal one-on-one, but I'm trying to contribute to a system that would actually help people not die because there's not enough ventilators for them or the funding for it is scarce. So I was really still looking back at that point where I, I felt helpless. Now it's not maybe as... Um, visceral seeing people die in front of you but people are still dying every day and I feel like being in the public health uh, public health setting would help me have a more uh, broader impact right and it's something that maybe is more um, it's something that also works with people who are creative there's always going to be a space for people in public health and in different capacity but because again we're working on health system strengthening in a multidisciplinary field so it's a very very exciting place for me to work that's true <laughs> <laughs> and i as i always say papunta pa lang tayo sa exciting part <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we are uhc right yeah that's something to look forward to definitely Today, we got really, really good conversations. And I think it's also inspiring for for our listeners to get that 
push that, you know, you just have to be brave. Take the plunge for public health. There, <laughs> There is a space for you. If you ever had that doubt that you're not going to find something that you like in public health, it's so broad. You just have to like, jump in. Well, we really appreciate this great conversation, Ariane. I mean, we've been working with you a lot. Um, we've been asking from you a lot, especially when you were in the COVID-19 um, unit. And really, we're really thankful for you not just being here with us in public health on duty, but really your service to the Filipino people because of or 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 during your time in the DOH. Yes, as the kids say, hashtag blessed to have you here. <laughs> Did I do that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you as well, and also happy to have you know this uh, opportunity to speak about the work. Well, not just the work that I did, but also the team that we have. Well, I had with <laughs> with COVID. It's you know really for me life changing how dedicated and really committed these people were. Well, I think I think they're st- they still are. <laughs> it's just me. Thank you so much, Arya. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and hey, guess what time it is? What time is it? It's John Q Wong Book Club time. <laughs> Yay! Our first book is Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think by Hans Rosling, Ola Rosling, and Anna Rosling Runland. Preconceived notions, personal bias, outdated facts, and news bias can color how and what we think about the world. Sometimes we think the incidence of poverty is much bigger than the actual global statistical data mostly because we apply what we see and experience when it is not representative of the actual stats. In this book, the author sought to measure our level of ignorance to help fix it and change the way we look at the world. Yes, and we have another book, The Great Escape, Health, Wealth, and the Origins of Inequality by Angus Deaton. So Mr. Deaton is actually the winner of the 2015 Nobel Prize in Economics. And in this book, he walks us through 250 years worth of studies on how the world is healthier and wealthier, but suffers from greater inequality. So does progress actually come at the cost of inequality? The sustainable solution is more than just handing out checks left and right. Mr. Deaton's thoughtful and illuminating analysis of the world gives us insights into how we might be able to move forward to close the gap. Both fantastic books, so don't forget to check them out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Health on Duty. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Public Health on Duty is a joint production between Epimetrics Inc. and Big Baby Studios. Dr. John Q. Wong is our executive producer. Editing and hosting by Anjali Magdaraog and Martha De La Paz. Our producers are Abigail Tan and Antoinette Mendoza. Sound engineering and original theme music by PB Nicholas. You can find out more about Epimetrics at www.epimetrics.com.ph or at EpimetricsPH on Facebook and Instagram. This has been Martha. You can find me on Instagram at underscore call me Martha. And I'm Anjali. I am not on social media, but you can catch Martha and me on the next episode of Public Health on Duty. Bye.